0: Thank you, Alex. Turn with me, if you would, in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 1. You can also find it printed in your bulletin. We'll be focusing on Mary's Magnificat, her song, um, as it's called, but we'll reference some of the earlier portion of uh, what, what leads into her song as well. So we'll read Luke 1, verses 26 to 56. Here now as I read God's holy, inerrant Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, Let's pray for his blessing on it. Our God, as we come to your word and we consider this song of praise from Mary, we ask that you would enliven our hearts, enable us to do the same, conform us, change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, songs that are really popular are songs, and people love songs, that convey powerful and personal emotion. Uh, In our day and age, and you turn on the radio, that powerful and personal emotion is often encapsulated in what we call a breakup song. But people love it because they're hearing someone singing from the depth of their soul, I will survive. Or they're reaching out in longing to the one who's left, I will always love you. Or they're responding with uh, angst and animosity. We are never, ever getting back together, like ever. Uh, in case you weren't sure. And that fills a lot of radio. But actually, believe it or not, if you think about it, on the other end of the spectrum, there are a lot of songs that are very popular that convey a lot of personal, intense emotion that are about the faithfulness of somebody, about the faithfulness of the singer towards somebody else or the faithfulness of somebody else toward them. And so you hear songs that are titled or songs that have lyrics like... You are the wind beneath my wings. Say you'll be there. Or, when you breathe, I want to be the air for you. I'll be there for you, by the great hymnist Bon Jovi. Now, I I don't necessarily like all those songs. You don't have to. But my point is that these songs uh, and songs like it resonate with people because people can hear the intensity and they know the experience and they can identify with the feelings of the singer. And I bring all that up to say, we, as we read and hear, if you will, Mary's song, it is something that should resonate with us because we can identify with it. As Mary sings about what God has done for her, and then she transitions to sing to speak about what God does in general, it's an experience that we should see in ourselves as well and give God glory for it. Uh, Because she is describing his character and it reflects our experience. And so, as we move through this passage, I want us to magnify God for his salvation. That's really like the main point of Mary's song. That my soul uh, exalts the Lord God and my soul rejoices in the God of my salvation. My God, my Savior. That we, likewise, magnify God for his salvation. Well, as I said, Mary starts with her experience with God and then transitions to speak about what God does in general and speaking of God's actions. And that's a, a brief side note here. Notice who's doing all of the acting all through Mary's song. The Lord has looked on the humble estate. Uh, He who who is mighty has done great things. He has shown. He has scattered. He has brought down. He has exalted. He has filled the rich he has sent away. It is overfilled with God as the actor. The one who is doing the action verb. So just realize that. Remember that as we go through. Well, Mary has an experience that results in, just, just like a breakup song or a song of faithfulness, results in Uh, this product that is a song, Uh, Mary has a couple of experiences that lead her to this song. What are these experiences that she has that is causing her to exalt God? Uh, we, We have two that we see in the text. The first is she has received revelation that she will supernaturally conceive the awaited Messiah. Verses 31 through 33. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Mary knows her Bible. She knows the Old Testament. And she knows that the Messiah is the one who will save Israel from its sins. And now she is receiving the news that you are going to be the one who will bear that sin bearer. Supernaturally conceived, that way he is not a son of Adam, but rather a son of God, yet truly man by being a son of Mary. That's the first reason that feeds into her song. The second reason uh, that feeds into her song is the response that she gets from Elizabeth whenever she goes into the room. She goes into Zechariah and Elizabeth's house, and Elizabeth, who was barren, is now six months pregnant, so Elizabeth has to be showing. That's a cause for great joy. Uh, And then, Elizabeth, because of John the Baptist in her womb, gives Mary a supernatural positive pregnancy test. Uh, now, Mary, Mary might have known already that she was pregnant. Uh, we don't know for sure, but she is only one or two weeks pregnant. Uh, she is not showing. She probably doesn't feel anything. We know that she's only a couple weeks pregnant because the angel tells her Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Then Mary stays with Elizabeth three more months, and Elizabeth gives birth. So we know that Mary went... Almost immediately, with haste, the text says, after, she, after Gabriel spoke to her, Mary immediately goes to Elizabeth's house. So Mary is newly pregnant. Understand, and I, I hope this helps us to grasp uh, the gravity, the joy. When we read scripture texts like this, it can be hard to put ourselves in the moment. Try to understand the gravity of the joy that Mary is feeling right here. You have had similar feelings of joy whenever you or someone you know has found out that they're pregnant. Think of that joy that you experience. And whether or not it's you, it could be you know your mother, your sister, your aunt, your cousin. Everybody in here has some relative they know that has had great joy and news of being pregnant. And isn't it even magnified more when that person has been trying, when that couple has been trying for a really long time? And Mary has a double dose here. Both her and Elizabeth, who was barren and is old in age, is now six months pregnant. That is the kind of feeling that is in this song. And so I just want us to realize that. That's the tone uh, that we should hear. Mary walks in, and John is already doing his job. He's not yet born, but he's pointing to Jesus. He leaps in the womb at the presence of his Savior. And that's one thing I want us to realize here as well. It is through John, of course, this is a supernatural um, act. The Holy Spirit fills uh, Elizabeth and fills John Earlier in the chapter, we read that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. This revelation comes through John, through Elizabeth, supernaturally. But this is not just like, John is not simply, and Elizabeth is not simply like a supernatural metal detector, like a Savior detector, Uh, like, beep, it's going off, you know, the Savior's present. This is a response of faith. A response of faith from a six-month-old infant in the womb. I want us to just have a couple of side notes of application here. Uh, and when I say side note, I mean these aren't, this is not like the main point of the text, but we learn these things from the text. One thing we learn is that God can save anyone regardless of age or mental capability. So an infant in the womb an elderly elderly person with a a severe mental illness, all kinds of those uh, uh, situations and the spectrum that's in between, God saved John from the womb. We are reminded of that here. We're taught it other places in Scripture. The other side note I just wanted to mention is this. We often talk about uh, life beginning at conception, and that's important. The Bible teaches that very clearly. But one other thing that we learn and are reminded of here is that not just life in general amorphously, but personhood exists at conception. Because John is not leaping at life existing in general. He is exercising faith in a person that is conceived in the womb. John is able to identify supernaturally, yes, but he's able to identify the person of Jesus while Jesus is yet just one or two weeks old. Personhood at conception. Exercise of faith uh, from one infant uh, in another to another. And so you have this, these things going on, and it results in Mary's exaltation in God. Not only is she with child, but it's the child who is the Savior that would save her, And save God's people. And she exclaims that. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He's done something special for Mary. And this is where she begins to describe what God has done in particular for her. These are the grounds for Mary's exaltation. God has looked on her humble estate. Verse 48. Not just just humble as a creature, but I think in her poor estate. Uh, Not only is she simply God's creature, but she is also a poor person. God has looked on me in my humble estate. All generations will call me blessed because she is the bearer of the Savior. She's the bearer of Jesus. And that is the great thing that God has done for her. She, uh, excuse me, he who is mighty has done great things for me. And then she exclaims God's holiness and, his mercy. and when we think about what God uh, did for Mary and her particular reasons for exalting God, he has done something, he did something truly unique uh, with her and for Mary that doesn't translate to the rest of us. She is blessed in a way, in a peculiar way, that nobody else will be blessed because nobody else is conceived of, uh, Nobody else has supernaturally conceived the Savior, okay? So there's a peculiarity, a specificity for what God has done for Mary that doesn't transcend all of our experiences. But as we think about how unique God's work is with and through Mary, I want us to realize this, that God's work in your life is uniquely tailored To you and your circumstance. Just like God's work is uniquely tailored to Mary for a supernatural purpose to bring about the the conception and life of the Savior, God's work is uniquely tailored to you. I think, in an attempt to, in, in a noble attempt to normalize experiences, you know, and to empathize with people, rightfully so. You know, man, I've had the similar experience of difficulty in school. Yeah, I know, I've, I've had the same kind of trouble at work. Um, you know, I've, my loved one, you know, this, when they passed away, I thought and felt this. Um, yeah, I've, you know, I dealt with that addiction. Uh, yeah, somebody I know has that sickness, or I have that sickness. That's a good and important thing. There is a relevance to being able to empathize and connect with somebody else within their experience. But the truth is, when you dive deeper and you claw away at the very, very deep depths of your experience, nobody else has your father or your husband or wife, the peculiarities of that circumstance. Nobody else has your classmates. Nobody else has your employees or your employer. Nobody else's personality and personal issues are exactly like yours, so there 's a relevance to connecting with one another and empathizing, but there is a uniqueness to your experiences that God knows and God dives into, and God looks on your estate and does mighty things for you in each one and i don 't say all that to minimize uh, the relevance and importance of like us empathizing with one another in our situations but I mention it to magnify the necessity of leaning on God because only he knows the uniqueness of the personalities and persons that are involved in all of those situations. God's work is uniquely tailored to you, even though it doesn't look exactly like the work in Mary's life. But she is magnifying him for his work in her life. And she says, holy is his name. He is utterly unique. Even though he is holy and I am not, he has looked on me with mercy. And not only forgiven me, but given me this blessing. For which reason, everybody from now on will call me blessed. Speaking as Mary. When she speaks of his mercy for, from generation to generation, I want us to realize this. God's mercy is for anyone who humbles themselves and says, I recognize my need. I can't save myself. I need a Savior. His mercy is from generation to generation. Every generation needs it, and every generation can cry out and say, my God and my Savior, I need you. Well, Mary has exalted God, she has described his unique work in her life, and then she transitions to begin to describe God's actions and character overall. And we see that as she has exalted God, she describes God as one who also humbles and exalts in general. That with his strong arm, he lowers the exalted and he raises up the humble. If you will, God exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. That's the general description that Mary begins to give throughout this next section. And it's given in a back and forth. With his arm, he scatters the proud, verse 51. He brings down the mighty from their thrones. He sends away the rich empty, verse 53. And speaking of what he has done in raising up those lowly, God exalts those of humble estate, verse 52. God fills the hungry with good things. So we see this contrast and the action of God being generally described as one that humbles the exalted, those who are lifted up, those who are self-important, those who are proud. He humbles them, but he raises up, he exalts the humble. One thing I want us to uh, note here as we read Mary's description of God, we've now gotten far enough through Mary's song to see that she's actually doing a cover song. This actually, uh, this point came up from R.C. Sproul, so I owe full credit to him. Uh, But he observed and noted that Mary is reflecting Hannah's song from 1 Samuel 2. And you think of some similarities. Hannah was barren and had no children. Mary is thinking of her cousin Elizabeth, I think, and of herself. But Mary remembers Hannah's song after Hannah has given birth to Samuel in 1 Samuel 2. Hannah says these kinds of things. I'm reading. I'm quoting from 1 Samuel 2. And hear, hear the similarity with what Mary is saying. My heart exults in the Lord. I rejoice in your salvation. Sounds a lot like my soul magnifies the Lord. I rejoice in God my Savior. Hannah says there is none holy like the Lord. Just like Mary says, holy is his name. Hannah says, in contrasting the proud and humble, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble, the lowly, bind on strength. You also have the idea of being hungry and being filled and the contrast between the rich and the poor. Those who who were full... The rich, those who were full, have hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. And finally, Hannah says, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. It's abundantly clear that there is a very intentional reflection between Hannah's prayer or Hannah's uh, praise in First Samuel 2 and Mary's song here. Why is this relevant? Well, what Mary is doing, we should also seek to do uh, by knowing Scripture so well or diving into it that it is reflected in our praises and laments. Leaf does this, uh, my son, where he loves to take a song and then change the words to be a clown. So... We're, he's riding his tricycle. We're riding down the street, and he, he looks up at. I think Precious communicated this to me. Uh, it, it might not have been me, but I remember this. He looks up at Precious, and he's riding, his, he's riding his tricycle, and he's like, Ride, ride, ride your bike gently down the street. He's like, a clever little boy. We got a budding Weird Al Yankovic. But. He knows the song is the song, the tune is simple, the words are simple, and he knows it so well that he can take his circumstance of riding a bike and import it directly into the song that he's singing and change the lyrics for you know for humor. Our experiences, we it helps to use scripture, to let scripture inhabit our praises and our laments, and this is exactly what Mary is doing. And so whether it's scripture that you have memorized, um, whether it is simply diving into the scriptures whenever you're in a situation of praise or lament, it is helpful. And we should seek to use what I would call scriptural muscle memory, that it is so in us that when these situations arise for praise or lament, we can reflect on what is in our muscle memory, the songs, if you will, that we already know from Scripture, and import our circumstance and let that be and inhabit our praise and lament. So, a brief point of application there. Um, that is a great benefit uh, to knowing Scripture. And just even if you don't have it memorized, to dive into it when you're in those situations. We see what Mary is doing with Scripture in reflecting Hannah. But what, would, what do we learn from the specifics now of what she is saying? What is the nature of this humbling and exalting that Mary is speaking of? I appreciated when, when Calvin said this about God uh, humbling and exalting. Calvin said, when Mary is saying it is God who casts down nobles and exalts the lowly, she teaches us that the world does not move and revolve by a blind impulse of fortune. And, and Calvin makes fortune a proper noun. In English, we capitalize it. I don't know how you make a proper noun in Latin. Maybe it's capitalized too. But anyway, uh, the world is not driven by blind luck. Uh, it's not simply a little bit of luck and a lot of your hard work and, uh, you know, you'll make it. That's what the world sees as success. And what Mary is saying here, the world doesn't move and revolve by a blind impulse of fortune. It is God who has placed you exactly where you are, raised up or lowly. God is the one who humbles and exalts. And in doing so, it's not just that God does that, but he frustrates the plans of those that think and focus on earthly dominion. So think about the Jews at this time. Many Jews expected a military leader who was going to bring an earthly dominion. Those are the proud thoughts of their hearts that I think Mary is speaking of here or could be applied to the proud thoughts of their hearts. We're going to have a Savior who's going to, who's going to conquer the Romans for us. And think of Rome itself. Rome is at the height of its power right here. The mighty We're on the throne, if you will, in verse 52. But the mighty he has brought down from the thrones. When's the last time you had any thought, besides history class, about Rome and its emperor? He's not anymore. How the Lord has raised up and brought down. It's not a blind impulse of fortune. It's God who is at work doing it. The other thing that we should see from this is that material richness and self-sufficiency can mask our spiritual bankruptcy. Those who think that they are rich, who think that they are uh, doing well, they're, they're sitting pretty, if you will, it might be masking some spiritual emptiness or spiritual bankruptcy. And in the passage here, Mary describes God's action as sending those Self-sufficient, proud individuals who don't need a Savior, they're sent away empty. Even though they have everything, they're sent away empty, Mary describes. But if you recognize your insufficiency, your need, if you humble yourself under, the, under God and say, I do need this Savior who has come, God will, what Mary says, fill you with with good things. God fills the hungry with good things. Verse 53. Note this about that that, uh, portion. God fills the hungry with the good things that are in Christ. Not necessarily of this world. Mary describes the hungry being filled. Did Mary get rich? Did Mary ever become queen or empress of anything no mary stayed poor along with most of the other first century christians most of whom were killed for their faith but mary describes them isn't this interesting mary describes them as being full so what are they full of they're not full of riches they're full of the holy spirit they're full of all of the riches that are in the lord jesus christ They're filled with the bread of life that is Him. They're filled with the living water that satisfies that is Him. He's the bread from heaven. Only He will satisfy. And that's what we are filled with. And so I challenge you, what are you hungry for? What are you grasping for? Is there some way in which you feel empty and you're wishing to be filled? And what is it with? Mary says those who are hungry can be filled, will be filled. But it's not necessarily with material wealth and riches. It's with the riches that are in Jesus Christ. God may also bless you materially. Then that's a double blessing. But the true fullness that lasts, that moth and rust will not corrupt, is Jesus himself that we are filled with. These things that God does are grounded in God remembering his promised mercy. Verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. God promised to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless all the nations through you. Through your offspring, the world will be blessed. And so the promise, isn't it beautiful, <laughs> Mary is singing, expressing God's promise to Abraham about his offspring that was promised. And Mary has that offspring of Abraham now conceived in her womb right here. The promise that you made has come to pass here in the conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through that offspring, Christ comes the mercy God's promise I want us to recognize this as we've just talked about and considered God humbling and exalting and doing those things in general what I want us to realize is this that God's mercy toward us God's lifting up of us his exalting of us is because Jesus was lowered and so what we read generally here applies specifically to Jesus as the one who was abased, the one who was put down. Second Corinthians 8 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so see that God exalts the humble, He exalts Christians by humiliating Jesus. We are exalted because He takes to Himself the true body and reasonable soul to live through the miseries of this life, to go to the cross, to experience that death, to be abased so low as to remain in the grave for three days. His lowering... His scattering, his being forsaken. Apply the words of the text to Jesus. He was sent away empty. He was scattered. Jesus exclaimed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of our exaltation is grounded in Christ's abasement and lowering and humiliation. And so can we reflect And can we do something similar to what Mary has done here in saying, my soul magnifies God for what he has done. My soul exalts in him and I rejoice in my God, my Savior. Frank Houghton wrote a hymn called Thou Who Wast Rich Beyond All Splendor. A lot of you might know the tune and the song. A little bit of a hard tune to sing. I don't know if we'll sing it here. Um, But Frank Houghton had to have the words of 2 Corinthians 8-9, he had to have, I think, Hannah's song and Mary's song. He had scripture swimming in his head about our exaltation and Christ's humiliation when he writes these words. Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake becamest poor. Thrones for a manger did surrender, sapphire paved courts for stable floor. Thou who art God, beyond all praising, all for love's sake, becamest man. Stooping stooping so low, but sinners raising heavenward by thine eternal plan. Thou who art love, beyond all telling, Savior and King, we worship thee. Let's do that. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for salvation that we have in Christ. We ask that you would enable us in some way to reflect Mary's song, that you would raise our praises to you and be pleased and inhabit our hearts that we continue to reflect Christ every day. In his name we pray, amen.